Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm also being joined in this hour by the one and only Dr. Peter Kapsner. We are concluding our Sunburnt series today. Peter, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's really hard to believe that we are at the end of this series. It feels like just yesterday <laughs> we were wondering what we wanted to do for the summer, yeah. and, and boy, has it been a series of some pretty great topics, a lot of which uh, determined by the listeners. Yeah, it's been great. And I figured for the final episode of Sunburned series, we should go and um, talk to a very uh, wonderful guest who lives in the sunniest state in the Union, which is uh, California. So we're going to be uh, going to the Biola bullpen once again today. You know, the Biola bullpen, it's I think the... they have, uh, oh, it's it's rich in lefties <laughs> and righties, and it's got a lot of people in that bullpen. They do such a great job of, of I think, getting into the depth of some of these topics that sometimes we skim uh, across the surface, including today's topic about uh, conversations. They yes. just do a really great job of getting underneath that and inviting us into something deeper. Yeah, our guest, uh, Joanne Jung, was born and raised in L.A., and she was a stay-at-home mom for years and then went back and returned to academia and got a master's degree and then got a Ph.D. I mean, that, I, that is ambitious. That is ambitious, <laughs> and, right? And she's authored a number of books. The one we're going to chat about today, which Peter and I are very excited about, is called The Lost Discipline of Conversation, Surprising Lessons in Spiritual Formation Drawn from the English Puritans. Joanne, welcome. Uh, thank you, Bill, and thank you, Peter. I am absolutely honored to be on this interview. Thank you very much. Well, I love the topic, and I watched a number of your videos, and you present spectacularly, and you're so interesting, and I'm just so excited that you could make this uh, today. And I love, I love the Puritans. Uh, Valley uh, of Vision is one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I do too. I call the Puritan, the English Puritans, some of my best old dead friends. <laughs> it's it's so true. When you start praying those prayers, you feel like you are in a different space with God. You are yes. in a, a place of complete surrender and worship and praise. And I just love them. Yeah, you know they put into words what oftentimes we find difficult to describe. Who do, do what, say more about that, Joanne? Uh, well, you know, they wrote so much in the various contexts, historical contexts that they found themselves in, um, and uh, many of them were imprisoned. Many of them were uh, their their parishes, their congregations. They were not allowed to to preach, um, and they took to the pen, and they wrote and wrote and wrote. And we, uh, by the grace of God, are given these um, writings, treatises, sermons that have been preserved for us and reprinted for us uh, in a language that we can understand. It's rich. It's very rich. Mm -hmm. I know in the um, Form for the Glory of God, learning from the spiritual practices of Jonathan Edwards is a biggie as well, isn't it? Yes. 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 And you talk about that a little bit. Um, 
and you mentioned conferencing. What is that? Conferencing. You know, we, we talk often of uh, basketball conferences, um, you know, business conferences. But when I came across the use of that word in my research on the English Puritans, it caught my attention. Um, the way they would use conferencing are these conversations, and there are essentially two elements that went into these conversations. One was, one element was their biblical literacy. No matter where you you uh, where, where you fell on the spectrum of biblical literacy, whether you were a brand new Christian or a very seasoned Christian and you knew uh, scripture quite well, memorized it. Uh, a, a, large portions of scripture, no matter where you were on that spectrum, biblical literacy was a part of that, of these conversations. And the other part was soul care. They cared about one another, uh, one another's souls. And when they put those two together, what you end up with is like a plumb line or a litmus test for your life as they put their lives against what scripture would say. So conferencing are these conversations, these spiritual sacred conversations between people that would blend these two, um, biblical literacy and soul care together. So, Joanne, if uh, if two Puritans were to do what we tend to do as believers today, which is maybe ask each other to go out for a cup of coffee or something like that, right, to, to try to connect or talk or or, or um, just have some conversations together, what might their conversations sound like compare, compared to maybe what we do today? How would they be different, and what could we learn from that? Oh, uh, this is wonderful. You know, one, I, I think they would probably have meals together uh, and uh, perhaps nowadays go out for a, a cup of coffee. Um, it's interesting that, you know, many people have read um, John Bunyan's, I'm always afraid of saying Paul Bunyan, but it's John Bunyan's <laughs> Progress. And at the end of part one, um, Hopeful and Christian are having this conversation. And Hopeful says, uh, so what is it that, uh, you know, why do people backslide? And Christian responds with, well, you know, they refrain from godly conference. Well, then I would look back on a conversation, uh, I believe it's with Talkative, Christian is having with Talkative, and Christian asks this question, how stands it now between God and your soul? Hmm. And, you know, when we ask those kinds of questions or translated into more common uh, contemporary language, um, how stands it now? How is it going between, how are we doing between you and God, God and me, me, and how are we doing? Um, We can't come up with a very flippant, quick uh, answer. Uh, I find it difficult to do. It, It forces us to pause. Huh, how stands it now between God and my soul? Hmm. So I think that's that's a question that would be almost the basis for many of their conversations. Mm-hmm. I want to read something from your book, Joanne, because it's so powerful. You say, if our spiritual and emotional hurts were as visible as an open wound or a gash uh-huh. on our leg or, or arm, we would have to seek help and allow others to help us as well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, we tend to recoil, do we not, when oh. it comes to spiritual things? Mm-hmm. And, um, then, and then you give a couple of examples, which I just kind of hit me right in the shins when you say <laughs> things like, um, uh, we spend more time just discussing how our week went, and it becomes a group therapy session. 
uh, when it comes to just small groups of churches. Um, And I don't think the Puritans would necessarily have been speaking that way to each other. I don't believe they would have. I think um, there's there are an awful lot of defenses do we find um, in our conversations. We're always testing our conversations, testing how our words are received and, and the kind of responses or reactions that we get. And so we're in this kind of mode of testing, and we very rarely get to a point where one of my colleagues would say, with a friend who is in my face and by my side. That's the kind of relationship and thus then the, the kind of a person who we have allowed to come close enough to say, you know what, I'm really wrestling with this, or I need to confess this. I need to, you know, when I read scripture, God is really pressing this on my mind and and on my heart, and I I need someone to help me unpack this. What does it look like for me to live this out? Mm -hmm. Joanne Ewing is our guest, and I have to say this, another thing from your book that just came screaming off the page, Joanne, was um, do not wait for someone to ask you how you are and then answer with a polite fine. Take a moment to ask yourself, what is the state of my soul? Answer as honestly as you can. Share your thoughts with a trusted friend in a soul-to-soul talk. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you know, uh, in Genesis Genesis chapter 2, God breathed into... Adam, and he became a living soul. So um, biblically, how I understand soul is the whole person. It's um, body and spirit. That's the soul. And so when I think about that, it's our whole person. Um, And so when I mention about soul, it's not just the the, the spiritual aspect, but it's the physical. It's our whole person. So we bring our whole person into this conversation and we can see it in our body language. We can see it in our voices. We can see it in the words that we share. Um, so, yeah, the soul to me is, uh, and the attentiveness to the soul is extremely important to me mm-hmm. and to God. And, John, I, when I lived overseas for a little while, they often marveled at how therapeutic our American culture is in terms of, of people need an individualized therapy. And so I want to be a little careful how I ask this because I am so fully supportive of therapy, but I think what they, what they saw outside looking in was maybe an overly individualized culture that didn't have the kind of soul friends that you're talking about. Whereas Uh, they're living in villages and in small cities together so often. And so there's so much life together that's happening that it almost was easier to make friendships. Is it, do do you find it difficult to make these kind of friendships in the United States that we can have this kind of care for one another? You know, I don't think it's as difficult as we imagine it to be, because I think, I believe there are an awful lot of people who want the same thing. We just don't know how to ask for it. We don't know how to say, hey, you know, can we go out for a cup of coffee? I'm really wrestling with this. Or can we go out for a cup of coffee? I ran across this thing that, uh, you know, in in reading scripture or that someone said or in a sermon that I heard. I I just want to run it by somebody. Um, And so we need to, I think, grow a little bit more comfortable asking for communal help, uh, and we can start small. You know, we haven't even gotten to the first break, Joanne, and I already want you back on the show. (laughs) (laughs) So, Well, you know, um, I'd like to add something here, because we, I'm writing another book with a colleague, and uh, this has come up a couple of times in our conversation, 
is that we oftentimes, as Christians, we have these accountability partners. And I have nothing, absolutely nothing, against having accountability partners. That's really important. But when I see so many um, leaders who fall, and yet they are part of an accountability um, group, I'm thinking, what went wrong? And so as I look at accountability, I see so much of accountability being Make sure I do this. It's very um, uh, action-oriented. You know, make sure, you know, check with me as I read my Bible or check with me as I attend church, you know, as I do these things. (laughs) And it's very Mm action-oriented. And I would argue that actions are important. They certainly reveal what we believe. But we are human beings, and we are so easily, um, we can so easily manipulate things uh, to our favor. Um, And so accountability doesn't hold as much weight to me as attentiveness. Will we allow someone, again, someone who's in our face and by our sides, um, will we allow someone so close to us that we would allow them to be attentive to the good, the bad, and the ugly of our hearts? So good. Take a little break. This is right. uh, the Sunbird Series, our final uh, episode for the summer because the summer is coming to an end. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are so happy to have Dr. Joanne Jung as our guest. This is a fascinating topic, and I love this book, The Lost Discipline of Conversation, Surprising Lessons in Spiritual Formation Drawn from the English Puritans. You're always welcome. If you hear something you'd like more clarification on or you want Joanne to say a little bit more on something you just heard, let me know what it is. I'll certainly ask. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Sunburnt series, our final episode of the summer, and we're so happy to have Dr. Joanne Jung as our guest. She is from um, Biola. She's a professor. She's an author, and we just really like her already. So we're so glad that she's decided to come talk about her book, The Lost um, Dis- Discipline of Conversation, Surprising Lessons in Spiritual Formation Drawn from the English Puritans. And uh, Peter, I know your head was spinning during the break, and you got a whole bunch of questions, so... You, oh, may no. go, you may go next. <laughs> no, John, I loved what you were saying towards the end. I'm wondering if you can kind of take us backwards for just a moment and, and say it again. Just the difference between action and attentiveness, I think, was the word that you used when it, yeah. when it came to accountability groups. Because I know, to, to use a real um, stark example, um, in, in the realm of sexuality, I know that the stats show that uh, when people get in accountability groups related to trying to sort of manage their sexual behaviors, that they can manage those actions for a period of time through the accountability group. But if that group dissolves, the studies show uh, that they tend to go back to that same action that maybe brought them to the accountability group to begin with. So I'm just wondering if you can say a little bit more about action and attentiveness, and I think I have a follow-up from there, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a great illustration. So thank you, Peter. Um, I understand actions as being so critical to, um, to that our actions confirm our knowledge. So if I say I know something, um, my actions should follow that. If I don't have actions that follow that, and we can, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
apply that to learning and knowing uh, who God is and what he requires of us in terms of obedience. So our actions confirm our knowledge. Um, without our actions, our knowledge is incomplete. So when we take in knowledge of God, when we take in um, his truths and then live it out, that's uh, and, and we process this. That's the attentiveness to our hearts because not everything is going to be easy. Uh, we're in the marketplace. We're in the workforce. We're at home. Uh, we're with a, a room full of children or we're with one child, uh, and, and it's taxing. But we need someone to be attentive to our hearts to know, you know, it's hard being a stay-at-home mom. It's hard being a, a, a CEO in a large corporation. It's hard. It's difficult being a cardiologist. It's hard being a healthcare worker now uh, with um, with the pandemic. You know, it's it's difficult. How do I apply God's truth in loving one another or forgiving one another in this in in my context? And so accountability says, well, just do it. You know, just just say it and uh, and just do the actions. But if we do the actions without um, the attentiveness to our hearts, to know what truth is in our hearts. It's the truth in our hearts that we're going to carry with us. Our actions are um, evident of that truth. But so if we if we fail in a sustainable application of our actions, then I have to go back to then what do you really believe? What truth really is embedded in your heart? Is it that if only I have this group, that I am accountable to these folks for my, my behavior? Or or is the truth so deeply embedded in my heart that no matter where I go, that truth remains? And that action and my actions from that truth remain. So, you know, I, you know, I think of, um, uh, you know, from the, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, it's from our hearts that our actions take place. Hmm. Yeah, I was just, that's, a, I think, such a relevant passage. I was just thinking alongside of that, too, with the Proverbs 4 passage, where it says, guard your heart for everything you do flows Absolutely. from that. And yes. and so if you're with somebody and you want to do some of this conferencing or, or enter into a different level of, of the sacred relationship that you describe, that seems like it could get a little scary if you're going to open up your heart and what's actually going on inside of you that maybe isn't always um, seen by the public around you as, as maybe you're kind of, I don't want to say faking your way through it, but, but playing a bit of a game or pretend because you're afraid of the, maybe the repercussions. How, how do you start yeah. to sort of crack open in the ways that you describe to say, so this is what is actually going on in my heart these days? Yeah. You know, I think, um, I think one of the easiest ways to approach someone uh, with a conversation is always with a question. And I'm not going to say this is the one and only way to to ask this question, but there might be some relationships. I know a friend asked me a number of years ago, uh, her name is Kate, and she asked me, uh, we had been meeting just, you know, casually over coffee or something, and she asked me one day, uh, uh, one evening, she asked, do you think we can get to the level of confession? And I turned to her and I nodded my head and I said, yes, of course. I turned back around as we walked out of this bookstore and I thought, I prayed to God and I said, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm grateful for that risk. Do you, um, and what I noticed is she started with a question and she gave me that option. 
do you think we can get to the level of confession? So a week later, of course, I, I was a little anxious that week before we met again, but I found the time to be so refreshing, so freeing. So I'm grateful for the way she phrased that question. And I think uh, we all have blind spots. Um, I approached a friend, a colleague of mine, and I said, um, would, you, would you tell me when you hear or see anything of me that is not consistent with my being a Christ follower? And uh, there again, it's a question. And we start to have these conversations that it, it doesn't start with, hey, uh, will you uh, be attentive to my heart so that I don't mess up and, and um, you know say and do the and think the wrong things? But it's asking a question: where you currently find yourself to be? That's so good, um, Joanne Jung is our guest. The Lost Discipline of Conversation is her book, and in it, uh, the Puritans always sought to cultivate a very biblical worldview. She says, by maintaining a high view of Scripture, dependence on the Holy Spirit, and a commitment to developing a holistic working theology of the spiritual life. This was accomplished by various spiritual disciplines or means of grace. I would love for you, Joanne, to talk about means of grace. Yes, I think, um, you know, I, and I now use, I've been using that phrase for a number of years, the means of grace. Um, as I explored these means of grace, I would liken them to how we uh, very commonly use the phrase spiritual disciplines. Uh, and over the years, there's been just a little bit of pushback in terms of the use of the word spiritual disciplines, like these are the things I must do in order to have a relationship with God. But when the Puritans used the, uh, the phrase means of grace, they understood that it was God's initiation it was God's invitations to join him in reading his word, to join him when we would pray, to join him when we would conference with one another. And so the involvement of God, particularly um, the involvement of his Holy Spirit, uh, was critical. And so you see this um, Trinitarian perspective on the means of grace, but he always does the initiating. And so my responsibility is to grow more and more sensitive to those invitations and then, of course, to respond to them. I love that answer. Thank you, uh, Joanne, for that. We're going to take a little break, and we're going to come back. And if you have a question or a comment or something you would like uh, Joanne, uh, Dr. Joanne you to clarify, let us know, because this is such a wonderful topic. Uh, her book is The Lost Discipline of Conversation, Surprising Lessons in Spiritual Formation uh, Drawn from the English Puritans. So we'll uh, take a short break and be right back with uh, Joanne in just a minute. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. 
are learning some incredible wisdom from the Puritans today. Our guest is Dr. Joanne Jung, and I always have to laugh, Joanne, because Peter and I will sometimes text each other during the break, and Peter, I'm going to out him right now, uh, and he's probably going to be mad at me, but he sends me this text. Wow, she is nicer in one word than the two of us on our best days. (laughs) It's it's not a lie. Peter, you are too kind. (laughs) It's so true. Um, And as I go through and read pieces of your book, I I, I get stuck. I go, that is such a profound sentence. I got to go back and read it again. And then I read it again and I go, wow, I got something new the second time I went through it. There's so there's so much that we get from this Puritan mindset, this the way you have mined this and shown us some real gems. Uh, I I love this idea that, of course, um, the more we know and are transformed by truth, the more we discover who we are and find our place in God's history-making plan for mankind. Absolutely. Amen. Amen Absolutely. to that one, yeah. And you wrote yeah. that, so say more about that. I'd love for you to... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one of the things that we, we lack nowadays is um, just an intentional digging and diving into God's Word for the purpose, not not just to check it off, because uh, I think oftentimes we can do that quite easily, but for the purpose of discovering who he is. Um, as I was going through the Gospels, um, and I'm going through the Gospels again, I would ask this question, who are you? Because I heard it posed to me a number of years ago, at the end of our life, it will come down to who Jesus is. Yes. Who do you believe he is to be and uh, who he is? And so I find myself asking that question um, as I go through the Gospels. Who are you? What are you doing? And you discover, I discover, he is so radically loving. He is so radically kind. He is so radically um, authoritative, yet radically intimate. Who are you, Jesus, as he calms the storm? You are in control of the wind and the waves. That's my God. And when I discover more and more of who he is, I am more able to trust him. I tell my students, it is difficult to trust someone that you do not know. So as you grow to know who God is, as you grow to know who the Christ is, then when he presents something before you and it's consistent with God's word, it's easier to trust. It's easier to obey. Hence the hymn, Trust and Obey, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. That's, yeah. Uh, so there's that, that definite connection of getting into God's word again, not just to check it off, but to ask that question, who are you? Who are you? And then, and then accept that for oneself because it's truth. Joanne, could you say a little bit more, even about those phrases that he is radically loving and he's also radically authoritative? Because it seems like that combination makes him somebody that you would entirely want to trust, right? Somebody who you know is who is so for you and also holds the keys to what uh, real life of peace and 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 love and joy could actually be. Yes. Um, you know, it's interesting. Is this Peter? Did Peter ask yeah, that? Yeah, that was Peter. Um, it, I asked know, the good questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think both of you asked some phenomenal questions. Um, if I understand this correctly, in um, uh, Genesis, uh, when God approaches Abraham, and it's, I believe it's the first instance where the word love is used, 
and he says, Abraham, take your only one and only son whom you love. And then we know the rest of the story, right? Uh, he's to sacrifice uh, Isaac. And so God, in the very first book of Scripture, gives us an idea of what love is. And we have our own kind of idea of what love is, right? It's that warm, fuzzy feeling. It's an emotional love song. You know, it's, it makes us feel, um, you know, good inside. But God has said love is the willingness of the father to sacrifice his son and the willingness of the son to be sacrificed. When I recognized that, then I started going through Scripture for all the other um, verses and passages in Scripture. Um, for God, in this way, God loved the world he gave. Huh. Greater love has no man than this, than a friend give up his life for another. It started, it gave me that lens. And so when I, again, when I learn more about who God is and his requirement, his definition and description of love, I'm thinking, I fall so short. You want me to love this person after what they did or what they said? And and God says, yes, by my spirit, you can do that. And you can blame me. <laughs> you, can, you can lean on me and count on me and you can blame me. And I'll go, okay. Have I done things where I have felt, and you don't want to go by feelings. I tell my students, don't go, don't make a decision made on feelings because feelings don't have brains. And that's why we have thoughts. Oh, I like that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, uh, Peter and Bill, if you're ever in Southern California, I invite you to just kind of sit in on my classroom. I would love to have you join in. So there's an open invitation. But to love that way is is not easy at all. And I'm so grateful for the gift of his God's Holy Spirit who enables me to do that, who's always consistent with God and his word and always consistent with what he wants accomplished in my life. So I can say, okay, Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't feel like I, I, I need to or want to do it, but I know you're saying this to me. You need to forgive that person. Okay. Okay. I will. Lord, what will that sound like? What will that look like? And so it is. It's being spirit-led. It's following the spirit. Mm. Yeah, Joanne, I didn't hear everything you just said because I was checking flight schedules to Los Angeles. (laughs) 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 Because Peter Peter and I want to be in the front row of your class, just so you know. (laughs) I will reserve a seat for both of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So in your book, you talk about in Malachi 3.16, the Puritans Uh, understood that God was intimately aware of their conversations and regarded their words with deep interest. I don't know if we think about that way at all. uh, You know what? It's really funny. I I think when I gave my manuscript to a publisher, uh, one of these acquisitions editors, uh, he said to me, I've never seen that before. Hmm. I've never seen that passage before. And I thought, you suddenly see the authority and the accountability, but also the attentiveness when you recognize God listens to our conversations. He's right there. And he has recorded. He's recording. Uh, you know, it, 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 
I, I don't know. What did it do to you when you when you read that? <laughs> um, Peter, you go first. <laughs> well, I, yeah, it's it's a little sobering, I think. I mean, maybe maybe this isn't some game we're playing, Joanne, of, of sort of you know Christianese sorts of things. Maybe if if God is actually real, it's worth paying attention to, right? I mean, at the end, uh, this isn't a bunch of ideas we believe, but a, but a true relationship. Yes, and you notice this is done in community, right? At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. So it's it's involving someone else, and God is observant of these of the conversation. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared Yahweh and had a high regard for his name. There you see that high view of Scripture, high, uh, authority of God, authority of his word, in our lives, and you know, if you, you know, if you, if you took, um, tr- if you took seriously that God listens to our conversations, every single one. <laughs> uh, do you think that might change a little? Right now? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and and I think of Ephesians four. You know, we. We, when we speak, others are listening to us, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it brings in, wow, what is, you know, and I always think about our children. I have three grandchildren. I always think about what my grandchildren are, are hearing from my conversations and how I regard and respect people through my words, whether it be their parents or, um, or my, my husband or uh, one of their aunts or uncles. I'm very careful about how I regard them and how my words are expressed to them. They're picking that up. Okay, Peter, we're in a lot of trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe it's time to end this interview a little early, Bill. We can do that and spend the next 20 minutes in repentance. Um, (laughs) I think that would be a fair place. Uh, but Malachi 3.16, just for those, we've, we've referenced it, but we've not read it, and that is, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. Yikes. <laughs> it goes on to say, a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Mm. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts even, John, on that too, because I noticed that part of the passage. Uh, what, what in in your understanding, would it mean to fear the Lord and honor his name? Because we're not necessarily talking about being afraid, right? We're talking about something maybe a little different. Well, you know, I that's a great question. Was that Peter again? That was Peter, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have um, for a, a long time, uh, and again, I think many of us have heard, oh, this fear is a deep regard, a deep reverence for, for God. And I fully agree. But I also think about those Israelites who were hit with quite a bit of fear. Moses, you go ahead. You, you go ahead and talk to God. You know, we'll stand back here, you know. And, and I, I think that's real fear. And I think the kind of fear when I regard, again, just the other, just a, a moment ago saying, you know, even the wind and the waves obey him. How do you regard someone like that? Like he is, he is powerful, he can wipe me off the face of the earth in a split second or less. So is there fear? There is certainly a reverential kind of awe fear. But I also keep in the back of my mind what he is capable of doing. 
And it doesn't lead me to a fear that I would want to run away from him, but it's a fear that regards him, regards him highly, because I've recognized what he is capable in my in my limited human experience, what he is capable of doing. All right. I think we'll take a little break. We're talking to uh, Dr. Joanne Jung. Her book is The Lost Discipline of Conversation, Surprising Lessons in Spiritual Formation Drawn from the English Puritans. When we come back, I want to ask her about some of the Puritans that I know of and love to get her take on some of them. If you have a question or you want clarification on anything you've heard, let us know what it is. 877-933-2484. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are concluding our Sunburnt series starting next week. We are going to study people of the Old Testament. You're going to learn a lot about the people of the Old Testament starting next week. We'll be right back. series. We're wrapping up today with Dr. Joanne Jung. What a delight she has been. You know, I did mention right before we went to break that we're going to start talking about Old Testament characters. Joanne, I will just offer this invitation to you right on the show. Do you have an Old Testament character you would like to talk about and come on our show? I'll throw in rust proofing and floor mats. <laughs> that would be a kick and a half. Good. Because should I tell you what, what one of my favorites? Yes, please do. Uh, Old Testament? Uh, Rahab. Oh, perfect. I've got your book for Rahab. Rosie, write that down. <laughs> so that. we'll schedule that, yeah. Because a lot of the characters are going fast. I mean, Moses got jumped on right away, and David got picked up right away. But um, so, no, we'd love to have you talk about that. But uh, let's get back to your book, um, The Lost Discipline of Conversation, Surprising Lessons in Spiritual Formation, drawn from the English Puritans. Let's talk about some of those, like Henry Smith or John Owen. Who would you like to talk about? Oh, you know, uh, you know, I I have to say that my heart rate went a little uh, raced a little bit when you said we're going to talk about the English Puritans because uh, the database that I used, Early English Books Online, is just chock full of these preserved writings of the Puritans and their um, volumes and volumes and volumes. Uh, so I'm thinking, who's he going to choose? You know, <laughs> who does he want me to talk about? I would say, um, and this is a book that when I taught Puritan theology here at, at Biola for um, for some under, uh, undergrads, I would assign the book uh, Reformed Pastor, and I'm almost certain that anyone um, who is familiar with the English Puritans has come across that book, uh, Richard Baxter's Reformed Pastor. And it's not Reformed in, the, in perhaps the way that we understand Reformed, but he uses it in terms of being renewed, a uh, renewed pastor. And what I find fascinating in his read is he doesn't jump into, okay, pastor going to be or pastor want to be, this is what you need to do. He doesn't do that at all. He goes into more of uh, aspects of one's character. And he has this one piece, uh, a few pages in, he'll talk about pride. And he does such a wonderful job, as so many of the Puritans do, uh, in using descriptions and adjectives and metaphors for describing something 
And I'll talk about pride, and I'm going to kind of update it with contemporary language. But he says, we drag it everywhere we go. We'll drag it to the dry cleaners. We drag it to the pulpit. We drag our pride everywhere we go, and it influences us in what we think and do and say. That caught my attention. I'm thinking, wow, uh, talk about cutting to the core of my heart mm. in terms of pride. And so he he um, he unmasks these aspects of of the pastorate. But that book, I would say it's, it's for anybody. It's not just for those who are going to be and want to be pastors, but it is any, it's for anyone who would genuinely care for other people. Mm-hmm. In your book, you talk about sermons are an ordinary vehicle of grace and a chief means for conversion and growth in godliness. Yes. And as John Owen asserted, the first and principal duty of a pastor is to feed the flock by diligent preaching of the word. Yes. And that is going to be connected with conferencing because pastors of that era would meet with their congregants and they would hear their life stories. And so it would not be um, uh, unfamiliar. They wouldn't call them by name, but they would call, they would apply these to life situations that their congregants were going to be, that were currently uh, experiencing. And so uh, so you saw that connection, one with the pastor, uh, of course, and then another with God and his word. Like, this is the truth that can apply to me very practically in how I do life. And so that sermon, in fact, um, the Puritans would take, they would have paper and um, writing um, instruments to to record sermon notes. In fact, I read somewhere that um, after the service, the pastors would lay out their sermon notes so that if I didn't catch something, I was wow. so engaged with um, with his speaking and, and the words that he spoke that if I missed something, missed something, I could go up and see where I I, I left something out, where I um, uh, failed to record something. So, and, and then many of these sermons, of course, went to be published. And again, we have just, again, by the grace of God, so many of these sermons that have been recorded and preserved for us. Yeah. Joanne, if somebody wanted to access that same sort of database in which you were researching, is it possible for somebody that maybe doesn't have an academic library credential or anything like that to be able to access and read some of these sermons? They sound fascinating. Uh, you know, um, they probably wouldn't because it's a pretty costly license. Uh, Viola is gracious enough to have uh, this for us. However, so many, I would say, and um, Bill, you probably know this, um, more and more of um, a couple of different publishing houses are reprinting more and more Puritan materials. There's a whole uh, volumes and volumes uh, of uh, Puritan republished and reprinted Puritan works out there. and some of them are, are quite inexpensive, I believe, on Amazon. So uh, I would, I would kind of jump on those. Mm-hmm. It talks about that pastors need to preach first to their own heart and be mindful of their own spiritual growth process, or they might not preach as effectively to others. Hmm. Amen. Amen. And I, I wonder they, if, if that's the way the flock is being fed today. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I wonder, you know, so many, so oftentimes um, it's easy to add a story, 
you know, someone else's story or, or perhaps a story of, of our own selves, but not a story of ourselves. And great... I think that's, that's important. Yeah. Um, and I, I think as a pastor, one needs to be very careful. Of course, it's not uh, the place or the time to expose everything. <laughs> I think it would be a little too much. And I don't, I don't believe pastors are called for, uh, to that. But I believe they are called to, to the shared experiences that they and their congregants have. You know, we all wrestle with pride, do we not? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I often think perhaps a, a pastor would, could, at the end of a message, say, you know, as we talk to one another, here's some questions that we can ask one another. Begin that conversation, begin that conference session by giving um, our, our congregants a couple of, one or two prompts that were related to the truth that was just taught. So, Joanne, if somebody, um, I, I love this, the way we might share with each other, how's your soul? I think that's so powerful versus how you doing? Eh, fine, how are you? You know, we, we, mm-hmm. we quickly dismiss each other as we're trying to get to the next topic of conversation. Uh, boy, the twins lost again last night. Uh, <laughs> but if it comes up with how's your soul, you think, oh my, well, what are you getting at? What, where are you going with this? Um, I can't think of anything more important than, than lovingly having a conversation where people might reflect in a safe environment with a, a, a loved brother or sister in Christ about what's going on in their heart. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's critical. And I think we, we need to cultivate this more I believe God's glory is found in this. I believe his presence is found in this. I believe his enablement, enabling is found in this. And the joy is found in this. There is so much freedom that we can experience and that we have sacrificed simply because we're afraid. And we're more concerned about spin. We're more concerned about what other people think Mm. than what God thinks and what God desires for our souls. Joanne, for if a church is maybe uh, wanting to develop the kind of, I guess it call them sacred communities that you describe, how can they help foster some of that within their body uh, to, to enter into this a little bit more? Yeah, I think there are, I believe there are prompts um, in the chapters. Um, the story goes, as I was doing my research, I was um, wanting to find research, peer to materials and, and uh, sermons and treatises on small group, what we would call small group. But I kept finding all these other contexts, you know, parents with children, spouses, pastors with their congregants, congregants without their pastors in these groups. And I just kind of saved it for later. And that's what this book is all about. It's all the stuff that I had saved for later, and it shows up here. And in each of those contexts, I, um, I provide some prompts. Here's some prompts, here's some questions, here's some thoughts to to cultivate the kind of conversations, these sacred conversations that would reflect uh, what the Puritans would call holy conference. All right, Joanne, uh, absolute delight having you on the show. This book is uh, very well done. It's called The Lost Discipline of Conversations, Surprising Lessons in Spiritual Formation Drawn from the English Puritans. You've already got yourself booked. Come back during the Old Testament series. (laughs) Talk about Rahab, so you can't weasel out of that. Peter and I will probably take you up on your offer to come to L.A. to sit in your class. And I look forward to that. 
And because yep. we have so many people that we love from Biola on this program, I'm curious if you know um, Eric Taunas. Oh, of course. His office is right above mine. Yeah, we oh, we, we love T-Dog. That's what we call him on the show. Oh, T-Dog. <laughs> yeah, if you really want to weird him out, just call him T-Dog next time you I see him. I am going to go up there and see if he responds <laughs> to that. Oh, yeah, trust absolutely. me. absolutely. He will. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's just some wonderful uh, people we've had on the program from Biola, so... Uh, just been great having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. It has been an honor and a privilege and a joy. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. It sounded like you meant it. It's really I nice. Did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> All right. Peter, that wraps up our summer series. What do you think? Oh, boy. I mean, what a closer. We talked about Biola having a bullpen for us. Of no people, kidding. But, boy, we had a lot of people, and she was she was Mariano Rivera-like she, in her closing yeah, ability, right? She like maybe one of the world's nicest guests we've ever had on. Really nice. Clearly. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah, and I love the topic, stuff. and I love the book. So uh, thank you for uh, being with me this summer, and we're going to um, start next Wednesday with Old Testament characters, and our very first guest is Dr. David T. Lamb, and his choice was Moses. We're going to learn about him next week, same time, Can't same wait. bat channel. Yeah. All right, Peter, have a good night. That wraps up you our too. show. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. And if you're just hearing the podcast, welcome. Nice to have you uh, listen to this show. Tell your friends about us. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great night. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.